the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. You know, it's one thing to claim that Jesus rose from the dead. But the proof is in the pudding, as they say, and we'll take a look at that pudding here today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Welcome to our program. We're looking at the appearance of Jesus after his resurrection. If you'll join us, we're here in Luke chapter 24. That's where we catch up with our teacher and pastor as we look at where he appears and why and the significance behind it all. Join us for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner. Some Eastern religions today offer reincarnation as man's ultimate hope. Other religions offer being absorbed into nothingness after death as our best hope. Greek philosophy offers us the immortality of the soul and the final escape of the soul from the body as our best hope. But all of these religions, out of all of these religions, only Christianity offers physical resurrection as the goal of history and of our salvation. And that is the truth that is taught throughout the New Testament over and over again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record the historical reality of it, And then Paul and the other writers throughout the New Testament tell us what that resurrection means and what its effects are. There are many liberal theologians, though, who teach that the Old Testament didn't know of such a thing as the resurrection. That the Hebrews didn't believe in resurrection. And you can even find some evangelical scholars today who teach such nonsense. But it is the testimony of both testaments that the ultimate hope of Christians is physical resurrection. So let me read to you three passages from the Old Testament to show you that theologians who teach such things as this do not know what they are talking about. In Job 19.25 first, Job's life is coming apart and he says... As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth, even after my skin is destroyed. Yet from flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes shall see, and not another. So here we have in the oldest book of the Bible, a man giving his testimony that he knows that his Redeemer is living. He shall return to earth, and he shall give him with his own, shall see him with his own resurrected eyes. In Isaiah 26, you have God making a distinction between the dead 
in verse 14. The dead will not live, it says. Now that certainly seems to say there's no such thing as resurrection. But, he goes on, the departed spirits will not rise. Therefore thou hast punished and destroyed them, and thou hast wiped out all remembrance of them. But notice now, down in verse 19, your dead will live. Their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy, for your dew is at the dew of the heaven, of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. So the wicked dead will not arise to newness of life, but God's dead will rise from their graves and to newness of life. And now one last one in Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So here the wicked will be resurrected to disgrace and contempt. And the faithful people of God will be raised from the dead to life and to glory and to joy. Man-made religions such as Islam, Hinduism, Mormonism, humanism and the like are based on myths and legends and false ideas. Christianity is based on a historical and irrefutable fact. The physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead guarantees our spiritual resurrection from spiritual death and our physical resurrection from the grave at the end of history when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Paul couldn't say it any more emphatically when he said, If Christ is not raised from the dead, your faith is empty, and you are still in your sins. But now Christ is risen from the dead, and was made the first fruits of them that slept. For as all who are in Adam die, even so all who are in Christ shall be made alive. So our ultimate goal is not simply dying and going to heaven. That's not really the big thing. Oh, it's part of the plan. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But then Paul said, even when I die, my spirit will be with God and my body will be in the grave. But I will still feel naked, longing. Longing, even in the presence of God, for my physical body that shall be mine at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Implicit in this biblical teaching of resurrection is the high value and sanctity of human life in the physical body. And this sets Christianity over against world negating worldviews that see the body as an impediment to spirituality. A body that must not be negated. Physical desires that must not only be suppressed, but a body which must be cast aside in death if we're to get close to God. 
That is a view that even that is a view that even many Christians today believe. I actually had someone come to me not very long ago and tell me that he wouldn't sin so much if he just didn't have a body. You can see it in even some versions of the hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer. In the last stanza, it says, This robe of the flesh I will drop and rise and seize the everlasting prize. Oh, to get free of this body, this prison. But in the Reformed view, the last stanza of Sweet Hour of Prayer, it says, In my immortal flesh, I will rise. The completion of our salvation is not the moment you die. It is when God raises that body of yours from the dead and perfects it and glorifies it. And it joins together with your perfect soul. And there is a fully human being throughout all eternity. And you, beloved, will sing God's praises. And you will serve him with no hindrances. If you think about it, if the body is an evil impediment to goodness and spirituality, why is God going through all the trouble of raising it from the dead someday? Now notice that Luke doesn't try to describe Christ's resurrection. In fact, nobody does. He simply and beautifully records the facts. His gospel has many references to Jesus' prophecies of his own death and resurrection. He includes the declaration of the angels that Christ has risen. He lets us know that the tomb is empty. He records the appearance of the resurrected Christ to the frightened women, giving them the responsibility to testify to the fact of Christ's resurrection to the apostles. He includes the appearance of Jesus to the dejected and confused disciples on the road to Emmaus, and then to his unbelieving disciples back in Jerusalem the evening of his resurrection. Luke concludes his book with Christ's glorious ascension into heaven and his great commission to his church. And that is Luke's case for the physical resurrection of Jesus. And as far as he is concerned, it is conclusive. And what is his case? Jesus said he would be raised from the dead on the third day after his death, and he was. Second, he left the human race dependent on the testimony of women to believe in his resurrection. Third, Christ appeared physically to disciples and apostles who had literally given up on him. And fourth, they believed in him as the resurrected Christ and recognized him only when God opened their eyes. And these facts are indisputable. But no sinner on earth or in history will ever believe these facts without a God-given faith. Unbelieving sinners in their rebellion against God will deny these indisputable facts as they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So let's look at Luke's account. The last two weeks we looked at the resurrection, and now we're going to look at a couple of Christ's post-resurrection appearances and see what we can learn from them about 
Christ. So first look at verses 13 and 14 of Luke 24. And behold, two of them, disciples, were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all these things that had taken place. Now, I don't know if you know this, but we really don't know where Emmaus was, although there have been some educated guesses by certain people. We do know, though, that it was about seven miles from Jerusalem, which is about a two- or three-hour walk. And it probably took these men three hours because they were talking all along the way. But they had thrown in the towel. They had left Jerusalem. There was nothing else there to see for them. Christ had died. And it was the third day, and there was still no Christ. So they decided to leave town on this three-hour trip back to Emmaus. And they were talking about everything that had taken place in Jerusalem from Friday to Sunday. They were talking about the crucifixion. And I'm sure they were talking about all those momentous events that accompanied that death of Christ. They talked about the reports that they had heard from the women that Christ had arisen from the dead. And then in verses 15 and 16, we see a third person come up. And it came about while they were conversing and discussing Jesus. He himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So they were in deep thought and discussion. They were certainly down in the dumps and Jesus apparently walks up from behind them and starts walking along with them. Now, you've got to use your imagination to picture all of this. The resurrected Christ is walking down the road with them. But their eyes, says the Greek, were being kept from recognizing him. Now, what in the world does that mean? What was keeping their eyes from recognizing Jesus? Well, one can only really make educated guesses. But it could be because of their presuppositions or their basic assumptions. They didn't expect Jesus. After all, he's dead. And it's the third day, and he hasn't appeared. So their assumptions that Christ is dead and that all of his great claims were lies could have blinded them. It could have been because of sin. Sin blinds the heart. It keeps it from understanding reality. But it also could have been, and this is certainly my guess, a sovereign work of Almighty God blinding them. Because Jesus was not yet ready for them to recognize him until they get back to Emmaus. We don't know for sure what kept their eyes from seeing him and understanding who he was. But that is the testimony from Scripture, that they did not recognize him. Then in verse 17, Jesus said to them, What are these words that you're exchanging with one another while you're walking? And they, still, and they stood still, looking sad. In other words, they were talking about something everybody knew, and yet Jesus asks, What are you talking about? And they looked sad and dejected, or gloom. 
And we'll come back to this in a little while. Then in verse 18, And one of them, Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? In other words, Jesus asked them a question. What are you talking about? And it certainly wasn't because he lacked knowledge of the events, but because he often used questions to coach people out, to arouse their interest, so that they would then direct their questions and concerns to him, so he could explain to them what was really going on. So they stopped right in their tracks, And after an embarrassing pause, one of the men by the name of Cleopas asked Jesus, Are you such an unobservant visitor in Jerusalem that you are completely unaware of what everyone in the city has been talking about for three days? Notice Jesus' response. And he said to them, What things? And he's, of course, here drawing them out. And he said to them, The things about Jesus, and they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word and in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. So here Jesus says, what are you talking about exactly? And that was a brilliant tactic on his part because that gave Cleopas the opportunity to unburden himself to him And so they tell Jesus things that have been happening. And because there were so many named Jesus in Jerusalem, they wanted to make sure he understood just who they were talking about. Jesus of Nazareth, not just any Jesus. He was a prophet, not just any kind of prophet. He was a prophet who was mighty in word and deed. This is a prophet that you'd put right up there with John the Baptist and Moses and Elijah, he was a great prophet. But our chief priest and rulers crucified him by turning him over to the Roman authorities. Verses 21 through 24, they continue. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Instead, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women had also said, but him they did not see. (coughs) So here they continued to tell Jesus what has happened. It says, we were hoping, which is dashed now, But we were hoping that this great prophet, Jesus of Nazareth, was going to be the one who redeemed Israel. That's what we thought. But apparently we were wrong. Now, as many of the disciples of that day, they were right and they were wrong. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the redeemer of Israel in that he saves us from our sins. But you see, one of their false presuppositions was that and we have seen this over and over in Luke's description of the apostles, is that they assumed he would redeem Israel politically as well from Roman rule and tyranny. And that's what confused them. He didn't do what they thought 
he was going to do. Moreover, they said, besides all this, it's it's now the third day since these things took place. And they had heard him on several occasions say that he was going to die, and on the third day, he was going to rise from the dead. And they said, hey, it's the third day. We waited as long as we could wait, so we've given up. Our hopes are dashed, so we left for a mess. Everything we were so excited about on Palm Sunday is gone. And yet some of the women startled us by reporting that when they went to the tomb early this morning, Sunday, it was empty. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who declared that Jesus had risen and is alive. And they said, furthermore, some of those who were with us, like Peter, went to the tomb to see for themselves. And they found the tomb was exactly as the woman had explained it, but they never saw Jesus. Now, we're going to come back to this, but I want you to remember the empty tomb didn't convince anyone of the resurrection of Christ. No one was convinced by that empty tomb. Now in verses 25 and 26, you have Jesus starting to teach them. This is why he asked them the questions, so that he could explain what is really going on. And he says to them in verse 25, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets had spoken. He gives them a gentle rebuke. Your blindness, your foolishness, your dullness of heart to appreciate spiritual things and the truth of Scripture, and being confused by your basic assumptions of life have kept you from believing all that the prophets have spoken. Because of the assumptions you've made in your dullness of mind, you have not believed what the Old Testament prophets said about me, the Messiah. You didn't believe what the prophet John the Baptist said about the Messiah. You didn't believe what I said and preached, said Jesus, about the Messiah. Your spiritual dullness of heart has kept you from believing what is clearly revealed in the Holy Spirit-inspired prophets. And what is it that they're not able to see? Verse 26. Was it not necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? That that word necessary is important. He said, what would you have learned if your mind wasn't so dull and blinded by your basic false assumptions about your life? What would you have seen? you would have seen that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and die. You see, they were confused. How can a Messiah, who is a great king, die? How can the king of the Jews die and suffer? It just doesn't fit. Jesus said, you missed the whole point of the Old Testament. The Old Testament taught you clearly over and over again that the Messiah must suffer before he enters his glory. He is majestic, and he does rule over all, but it is the way of the cross that leads to the glorious estate of rule and authority over the whole universe. And it is necessary, he said, that the Messiah must suffer and die. And it is necessary because it was prophesied in the Old Testament that he would suffer. But why did they prophesy that? Because it was predestined from all eternity. And that's the point that Jesus is making. 
It wasn't an accident. It wasn't an unexpected tragedy. The suffering and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ was a necessity since God planned it from all eternity. Now don't get Jesus wrong. God didn't have to save anyone from hell. God did not have to choose to save sinners. He could have just let every sinner that ever lived go to hell and he would be just as loving and kind and good and gracious and patient as he is today. But having chosen to save sinners, there was no other way open to him except the suffering and the death of his son. And Jesus is saying, if you had been paying attention, you would have seen that it was absolutely necessary. If sinners are going to be saved, and if God's plan is going to be carried out for the Messiah to suffer and to die before and in order to enter the glorious state of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402-1484, Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.